Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. I was born and raised in the Catholic Church, and I attended uh, church on a regular basis, but I really didn't have a relationship with Christ, so I just went through the motions. Went on to college, um, I, then I started uh, making some really poor decisions um, in my life that led me further and further away from, from Christ. Um, and uh, fast forward into my early adulthood, I continued that path of destructive behavior, and I, I put up walls, and I uh, just, you know, w- was living a life on my own and not not with Christ. And as a result of that, it uh, landed me in uh, two failed marriages and a third marriage hanging by a thread. Well, then one day, one of my neighbors came up to me and asked me if I wanted to attend a retreat at the church. I, for whatever reason, decided to attend, and um, it was at that time in my brokenness and my spiritual bankruptcy that I, um, I met Christ face to face. And um, it was at that time, even that in that brokenness, that He was there for me, and I just basically surrendered at that moment. After that, um, I started looking at life through a different lens. I was um, able to see the blessings that I had in my life. Um, I saw God working through my marriage. Um, I started getting into the Bible more and learning about about Christ. And um, He started using my strengths by placing me into positions to do His kingdom work both here at church, uh, volunteering, and at my work at the court system. That's not to say I don't have struggles, I do. I'm still broken, and we live in a broken world. But the difference is, is that when troubles arise, God covers me with his love, grace, and mercy. And because of that, I, I can lean on him and trust him and allow him to, you know, give me comfort and peace. I mean, that's a gift that I don't, I didn't, uh, deserve, nor does anybody deserve, but it's there. It's there for anybody that wants to accept him and just come to the table and accept it. And that's what I did. And the transformation has been unbelievable in my life. I want to share my story because, you know, this, the gift of Christ and the gift of his um, love and his grace is is for everyone. And, you know, I tried to do it all on my own and it doesn't work. You need Jesus, um, and it's there for everyone. And it has done such amazing things in my life, uh, accepting Christ. It's just amazing, and I want everyone else to experience that as well. I'm Eric Teese, and I found completeness in Jesus, and now I'm on the pathway to looking like him. Well, good morning. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you're visiting Christ Church today, my name's Mark, and I get to be one of the ministers here, and we're glad you're with us. As I mentioned earlier, we are starting this new series, and I want to take you to the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was turned in by one of his followers. He was uh, illegally arrested and tried and punished and then murdered. But in that night, in one of the most powerful passages found in your scriptures, John chapter 13 through 17, Jesus does some amazing things. He taught his disciples. He encouraged his disciples. He challenged them, and then he prayed for them. He invested in them. And one of the key lines that I find is found in chapter 
uh, John chapter 15, verse 4. Listen to Jesus' words. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Interesting. Now, some of your Bibles say abide. Some say continue. Some say remain. But all of that translation is that same Greek word. It means to be rooted, to be securely attached to, to gain life from and sustenance and purpose. And Jesus is telling his disciples, stay with me. Don't abandon me because I'll never abandon you. And should you not abandon me, I'm going to do a work in your life. I'm going to produce a fruit in you that you could never produce within yourself. And we see this. We use that phrase around here quite often, to be rooted in Christ. It's also found in Paul's writings elsewhere where he uses that term, to be rooted, to grow, to, to gain strength and purpose. And Jesus warns us, you can't do it alone. You can't do it by yourself. You can't be independent of Jesus for most of your life and expect to have the depth of growth and fruit that God wants to produce in you. So Jesus is inviting us to remain close, to embody everything that he is. And so what I want to challenge you is to, to picture this, that because we teach here, right out of Ephesians chapter 4, that it is the church, purpose of the church to help you and I find our completeness in Jesus, but not independent together, to grow, using our gifts, using our talents, using the glory of Jesus to guide all of us. The glory of Jesus. It's an interesting term. If you think about it with me, you may find yourself perplexed because it seems like, okay, if Jesus is going to love you, then you have to brag on him. If Jesus loves you, you're going to have to think he's the greatest thing, even though deep inside you may not. Don't think of the glory of Jesus that way. I will promise you one thing. If you give any, any real attention to who Jesus is, if you give any real attention to what he's done for you, if you give any attention at all to who he is in order of creation and what he has provided for us and how he gave his life on the cross and the promises that he's already fulfilled and will fulfill, if you give any attention to Jesus at all, glorifying him will not be the problem. I don't have to make you glorify Jesus. I just need to get you to notice him, to give time to him, to truthfully and deeply consider who he is and what he's done. We will mature into the image of Christ by experiencing the glory of Christ. We will find our completeness in Christ when the glory of Christ is what we give ourselves to, not out of duty, but out of desire. And that's what I want you to understand about pathways, is Jesus has created a way for us to be with him, to abide in him, to continue in him, to grow in him. And if you open yourself up to it, he will open you up. And when he opens you up, he will bring change. Look with me at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writing to the believers in Rome, multiple house churches in that region, under the oppression of a dominant government, he says to them, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, let me pause. If you've been here long enough, you know I do this every single time because A, I think it's funny, and B, it has to be said. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to ask yourself the question, what's it there for? Chapters 1 through 11 of Romans has been establishing the grace of God through the cross in Jesus Christ, the mercy of God shown to us when we were sinners that he might deliver us and create a new Israel in which you and I are now a part of. 
forever. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, now it makes more sense, right? To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't want to make too much of this, but I also don't want to make too little of it. But I want you to understand that if you pay attention to Romans 12, 1 and 2, you'll see a very simplistic understanding of what it means to be rooted in Christ. This is just an instance in Scripture that shows you if you want to remain and abide in Jesus, here is what Paul challenges you and I to do. So we'll look at it. When we remain in Jesus, our hearts remain aligned to his worship. When you and I remain rooted in Christ, our worship will align with him rather than the things of the world. That's what he says in verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. There is a pattern to the world. We often talk about, in church, we talk about culture and world and these things, and you kind of think it's an esoteric concept. But there is a pattern to this world, and the pattern of this world is what we worship. Now, worship is something we all do. You've done it since you were a little child. You, you might notice a, a little toddler is walking around, and they see a bug on the ground, and they stop, and they're fascinated by it, and they give it their attention, and they think it's the greatest thing in the world until they see something else. You have worship from the day you were born. You give value and insight to something. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever been captured by a sunset or a sunrise? A set of colors you may have never seen in your life or ever paid attention to, and you stop, and we do these silly things. We pull out our little mini computers in our pockets, and we take pictures of it, and then we look at the picture later, and we go, oh, it's not as good as what I saw live. In that real moment, worship comes from us. We give value and we express value to things all the time. So let's be clear. Worshiping is what you're created to do. What you worship is a choice. And worship is birthed in your mind before it is ever performed by your body. Worship is a choice you make before it ever is performed. And we get to choose what we worship. And here's where it may sound like I'm giving you this deal, like, okay, if you worship Jesus and all of a sudden he's going to be good to you, no, no, stop. I promise you this. When you gain an understanding of who Jesus is, you will worship him. And when we debate whether or not we want to worship this or this or this, just fathom what you worship. You worship things that make you feel good. You worship things that give you value. You worship things that give you purpose things that entertain you, things that satisfy you. And those are all natural needs God created us with. Yet we're here to tell you that when you find your completeness in Jesus, you for the first time in your life will find completeness. Previous to that, you're going to find entertainment, momentary satisfaction, but nothing lasting. You see, what is the tangible evidence that we have been transformed and no longer conforming to this world? When our worship transform what we conform to, when when the worship and what you worship changes you. It changes your appetites. It changes things in you that you didn't think would ever be changed. I have met people, and I don't promise this, but I tell you it's true. I have met people in this room who will tell you that the moment they came into a full understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and who he was, their addictions ended. And I know some of you are looking at me like, give me some of that. I wish I could. 
But I've known people whose appetites and behaviors have changed instantaneously in the gospel, and yet I know every single person who's ever come under the umbrella of God's saving grace, he begins to change our appetites. Do you remember what you used to think was funny and now you kind of look at it and go, yeah, it makes me nervous. Or things you used to enjoy. Remember how you could so much be into a sports team or a job or a relationship and then you met Jesus and you realize, I'm trying to make that job or that sports team or this relationship my God. I'm trying to make them satisfy me. I'm trying to make them complete me. I'm forcing them to be something they've never met. So instead of just enjoying the blessings of life, we turn them into many gods that try to fulfill us. I'm here to tell you that when you understand what it means to be rooted in Jesus, you will need nothing else to be satisfied. And even when the world turns you upside down and shakes away all your other satisfactions, Jesus will be enough. And there are many in this room who can testify to this. You see, God changes our appetites and it changes our allegiance. We realize that in Jesus we have everything we need. Now, I want to pause here because I, I'm a little bit nervous to think that some of you are like, well, of course he's a preacher, he's paid to be a Christian. You're right. Okay, so you're here sitting thinking, no, he wants me to have this boring life where all I do is chant, light candles, and read scripture. No, I don't. I absolutely do not want that. That's one of the reasons I never wanted to be a preacher because I saw what some of them did and I thought, nope. And then I realized, no, you can actually have a life and a family and real passions and love Jesus desperately. You guys, we can be real. What I want to tell you is if I can get you and encourage you and train you equip you, anything other words you want to use, to spend any time at all focusing your heart and soul on who Jesus Christ is, the world will fade away. And you will find a completeness in Jesus you can find nowhere else. God is the one who will transform you when you and I no longer conform to the patterns of this world. In fact, I'm going to do this very briefly, but if you're taking notes, I'd like you to write down Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. And I'd like you to look at this week because here's what I want to teach you from the scripture is that the Apostle Paul shows us in the book of Romans at the beginning of the therefore. He's showing us what happens when we don't get our worship right, when we turn to the things of the world to complete us. It begins with disordered worship. When we start with disordered worship, Paul describes it this way. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Allow me to interpret that. They gave God no thought. They had no time in their everyday life to consider the God of the universe. They didn't ponder him. They didn't consider him. They weren't grateful for him. Verse 25, they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. You will worship something. You get to choose what you will worship. Each and every one of us will. And that comes, our disordered worship will then lead to disordered thoughts. Verse 21 of the same first chapter. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, and their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. When, when we focus on the wrong things in life, when we allow created things to be the God that's to satisfy us, it messes with our minds. It messes with the way we think. We have to try to find the value in them, and so it, it not only changes our thinking to futile thinking, it also hardens our hearts. Ephesians 4, Paul says this to another group of Christians. I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. They're not rooted in Christ. 
because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. By rejecting God, they are desperately seeking satisfaction in something and it hardens who we are. So we go from disordered worship to disordered thoughts to disordered desire, which then becomes disordered behavior. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. What we worship is indicative of what our heart belongs to. So again, and I'll be repetitive all morning, if you will create space in your world to consider the glory of Jesus Christ, he will begin to transform you from within. So when our hearts are aligned to him in worship, then our minds are transformed by his word. And now Michael DeFazio is going to speak about this next week, so all I'm going to do is introduce it because these three pieces snap together in Romans 12 to show us where we're going. Our minds are transformed by his word. Look at the remainder of verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed, metamorphosized, changed from within to without. I'm convinced of one thing this morning. I think one of the greatest needs in Christianity, especially in the United States, is we need to learn how to think. We need to learn how to think about what we should think about. So when I tell you you need to worship Jesus, I doubt there's anybody who would come to church on a Sunday morning in America who's like, oh, that's a bad idea. All of you are like, of course I should think about Jesus, but we don't know how to think about Jesus. We don't know where to begin. This is what Pathways is all about. How do we journey together to experience what God wants us to experience, to understand who he is, to receive all that he has so that we might abide in him so he will abide in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Do not be conformed to this world. But on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We need how to think about the glory of Jesus. We need to learn how to think about God's will in this world. There's a bunch of competing messages. There's a bunch of people who are saying that the scriptures are old-timey. They're out of shape. They're out of fashion. God could not have anticipated this brilliant culture we live in, huh? So what he said back in the old days, if he'd only known what it'd be like in 2021, I think he prayed for us. Because in our arrogance, we don't think God knows what he's talking about. And I still think God's the wise one, wisdom of all ages. We need to think about what God has said, and we need to understand within the context of our culture how we bring that truth to light, how we show the glory of God. It all goes back to what you want to put weight on, because the glory of God is the weightiness of God, that he is the brilliant one, he is the wise one, he is the good one, and he has told us the way. He has showed you, oh mortal, what is good and what he requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. He has showed us. On the pathway of discipleship, to be rooted is to trust in him. So how are we transformed? 2 Corinthians 4. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I could have dissected this verse. If you'll leave it up here for a moment. I could have dissected this verse as the core rather than uh, the passage in Romans that God brings the gospel and the glory of Jesus to light in our hearts to give us the knowledge of who he is through Jesus. 
To understand the glory of God is to see the face of Jesus. It's to spend some time thinking on Jesus, thinking on the goodness of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension to the right hand of the Father, and the return of Christ one day to redeem all that has been wronged. And to put our thoughts in mind on that, then we will understand the glory of God. You see, the mystery of God is not the will of God. The mystery of God is how is he going to fix all of this? And then Jesus does what Jesus came to do, and Paul said, oh, that's it. God in his brilliance would redeem everything through his son on the cross. You want something to think about the next couple days? Spend some time just thinking through the goodness of God displayed in Jesus, and you'll see the glory of God displayed in the face of Christ. Savor, savor, savor the person of Jesus. What does it mean to savor? Remember when you were young and you wolfed everything down? I grew up in a family of, of boys. And so, you know, I don't know that I ever tasted food for fear that I wouldn't get seconds. This is how selfish I was. So I just wolfed my food down because I didn't want my brother to get that one baked potato that remained, right? So I never enjoyed it. Now I go to a dinner and I'll tell you this, the more expensive the meal is, the longer I take to eat it. Can I have an amen? <laughs> we know how to savor things of value, don't we? The biblical word for savoring Jesus is meditating. It means to actually slow down and enjoy. For some of us, we study. You know, I know many of you, you read the Bible every day. You have a set pattern. You read through the Bible in a year because you're like super Christians, right? You just knock all 66 books out. You're not sure what's in it, but you read every verse of all 66 books in a calendar year, and then you're mad because there's no trophy at the end. You know what you do? I'd encourage you, and it's a dangerous statement, but I believe it. I'd encourage some of you to study less and savor more. Stop squeezing the Bible for information and start embracing the Jesus revealed in the Bible. And then you'll find that your Bible study becomes rich and it helps you abide deeper and you, get, you have a reason to think on the glory of Jesus and you're teaching yourself to think about the scriptures. It's not, the scriptures are not there for us to win an argument. The scriptures are there for us to redeem our souls, to know who Jesus is. So savoring is meditating. So if our hearts remain aligned to him in worship, and our minds are transformed by his words, then we remain in Jesus. Our lives will be transitioned into his will. This is really simply a, a truth. I have two friends who, who like to climb mountains. Now I know this will stun all of you. I'm not a mountain climber, can you tell? <laughs> I'm 20 feet and I'm out of breath, okay? But I have friends who have, like, I know it because there's stickers on their cars. <laughs> right? I know all of you who run. And if you put that 13.1 there, you're halfway home, right? But I've seen people, they have 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet, 14,000 feet. And I've been told, you get to that 40,000 foot, you can actually boast. But here's what I know. Even the person who's climbed the mountain to a vista of 5,000 feet, they didn't wake up one morning and decide to do that and then go do it. They trained. They worked. They figured out what the air would be like up there and how to manage themselves. They bought the right equipment. They bought the right shoes. They bought a life insurance policy, right? They made choices each and every moment that if I'm going to climb that. But here's what I know. When people climb to those great vistas and they see sights that you and I who keep our feet flat on the level ground will never see, they want me to see them. They take pictures. They don't post a sticker on their car to brag. They want you to say, there's something at 5,000, 10,000, and 20,000, and 40,000 feet you can't see from where you're at. I want you to know this. There is a vista above us that God wants us to experience. It's going to take effort. 
It's going to take a revision of the way you live your life. You can't conform to the world and see what God wants you to see. We can't conform to the world and the rhythms of the world that give us permission to not be involved in spiritual things, to not have a close community of people guiding us as we guide them walking on this pathway. The world has given you every excuse in the last 18 months to be disengaged from the community that is walking the pathway of discipleship. I am telling you, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you might know the glory of Jesus Christ. You might experience at 5,000 feet what it takes effort to get to, but when you get there, you're going to be like, I need to go higher. If this is this beautiful at 5,000, what is it at 10,000? The reason we're using the imagery of pathway for discipleship is God wants to show you what he's doing, but you're going to have to leave flat earth to get there. It's going to cause a change. It's going to cause some choices, and there's a beauty to doing this. Look at Romans 12, verse 2. Test and approve what the will of God is. There is an obedience expected in each of us for our joy, not for our duty, not for our punishment. God wants you to try these things, to experience it. You know I'm a foodie. Talk about it all the time. Do you remember those foods you wouldn't eat as a kid? Now you eat them as an adult and you're still embarrassed to tell your parents you now like them. Am I the only one in the room? You know, we were talking out in the foyer, there's two foods I won't eat, peas and beets. Okay, peas because they're demonic and beets because any food that stains porcelain, I'm not trying Okay, I've had to wash plates after my mom ate them. I'm not doing it. So those are the two foods, right? But there's so many things. Hey, I want you to know how grown up I am. I now order asparagus in restaurants and pay for it. I have grown so much. 14-year-old Mark would have died over eating asparagus, and now it's like, I love it. I'm growing. I'm changing. God is changing my appetites in multiple ways, mostly in my soul. Things that used to make me laugh now make me sad. Things that I used to give and devote my time to, I'm like, it's, it's not worth it. There's so many more important things to do, conversations to have, books to be read, ideas to ponder. Are you with me, church? I'm not using myself as an example. In fact, I said the least of all examples. But I'm telling you this, test and approve what the will of God is. And the only way you are going to be able to test and approve the will of God is to actually know what it is, first of all. And second of all, commit yourself to it. No one gets to 5,000 feet easily. But when they get there, they want everybody to see what they've seen. Now, I don't want to belabor this point, but when I think of actually taking the risk, I think of the first time my dad ever conned me into getting on a roller coaster. I didn't want to go on the roller coaster, but I didn't want my dad to think I was a baby either. My dad was giving me good encouragement. He's like, this will be fun. And then he lied to me, and he put us in the first car of the roller coaster. <laughs> and he thought he was hilarious, and I thought he was evil. And they strapped me in, and I remember going up there, hearing the click of the chain, pulling this thing up against its will to the top of this. And we were at Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, so we were over one of the, I don't know which lake it is, I think it's Lake Erie. We were over one of the, the Great Lakes. And I realized, this is how I'm going to die, and I, did, <laughs> and I don't want to die. And we were there, and we went to the top, and then I heard the horrific sound of that chain releasing all of our bodies. And if you've been on one, it sounds like, <laughs> and you're gone. And I remember saying to my dad, I want out, I want out, stop it, stop it, stop it. My dad laughed at me and he said, they don't stop these things. And down the hill we went, snot bubbles, screaming, everything else. My dad's forearms holding me back. He's laughing, I'm not. We take two or three turns. I want it to end. It's the longest ride of my life. We get to the bottom, my dad goes, so bad. And I was like, couldn't breathe. And he goes, you want to do it again? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did. I didn't. 
And still, to this day, every time I get on a roller coaster, and I hate being in my 50s now, where they, they make me sick now. They never made me sick. It's getting old's overrated. But I still do it to be with my boys and to have fun. And, and every time I ride a roller coaster, I still think, I don't like this part of it. Huh. If you're going to get to the heights to see what God wants you to see, the climb up is hard. You won't love it. But when you get to where God shows you amazing things of his glory and of his power and of his might, you'll want to camp there. You'll want to stay there. You'll want to rejoice. And then the best part is, you'll want to go back down the hill to grab guys like me, stick us in the front of the roller coaster so we experience what you just experienced. Church, are you with me? The pathway of discipleship is not a punishment. It's a privilege. It's an invitation. Few people want to walk the path. But those who do see the glory of God and all their appetites are changed and all their desires change and they begin to realize what a good king we have. Romans 12, 2. Then you will know what God wants you to do and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. What I'd like to do right now for those of you who are believers, and if you're not a believer this morning, we're so glad you're here. I don't say this as a judgment on you. I just don't want to ask you to do something that's insincere. But if you are a believer in Jesus and your heart is being moved to say, I've been on this pathway, but I've been on the flat ground. I need to, I need to start advancing up and seeing things that God has intended for me to see, using what he's given me to see, then all I'm going to ask you all to do right now is just very carefully close your eyes and bow your head. And I'm going to read three prayers. They engage our head, our hearts, and our hands. And as I read each prayer, and then I remain silent for a few moments, if this is your heart's desire, knowing that it's God's will for you, just simply silently or publicly say amen. The word means truth. Say to God today, I want this, Lord. God, we need you to transform our hearts. Teach us to value what we should value, to glorify what truly needs glorified. God, transform our hearts. God, we need you to transform our minds, the way we think, what we think about, and how to turn those thoughts into a life that abides deeply in you. God, we need you to transform our minds. God, we need you to transform our lives, to experience the goodness of your will, to pay the price, to test, to try, and to experience all you have for us. God, teach us to not only know your will, but to do your will. God, we need you to transform our lives. Jesus, we follow you. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.